and thank you for listening to Pod on the Dog. I'm your host, Verity Hardcastle, and you can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all the latest shenanigans in dogdom. Now for today's episode, I'm actually sat in a veterinary practice in Yorkshire doing my first ever in-person record. My guest today is a vet turned TV star after appearing in the Yorkshire Vet, Springtime on the Farm, as well as Channel 5's latest show, Our Great Yorkshire Lives, as well as many others, I'm sure. <laughs> Growing up in Castleford, he studied veterinary medicine at Cambridge University, clever so-and-so, a published author of multiple books, including All Creatures, A Heartwarming Tale from a Yorkshire Vet, and also A Yorkshire Vet, The Next Chapter. He is one busy man. So I'm so grateful to be joined today by Julian Norton. Hi, Julian. Hi, Verity. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. Thanks for, yeah, thanks for showing me around your practice. I just hope it's going to work out. We've had some builders and they've been sawing and hammering and drilling like mm-hmm. mad all day. Mm-hmm. And I said, look, folks, you've got to be really quiet when it gets to recording time because I've got a very important podcast coming. So hopefully we won't get any noisy distractions. But no. uh, if we do, we'll have to bear, bear with it, I'm afraid. We'll have to tell them that they're going to have to have an extended tea break. So we know you're from the Yorkshire Vet, but you also have so, so many other facets to you, don't you? I know that you enjoy downhill biking. You're actually a record-holding rower. <laughs> it sounds more grand than it actually is. That was a long time ago when I was, uh, yeah. I, I just, um, yeah, the world record rowing was a, a charity event, really, mm-hmm. a charity uh, called the Harriet Hospice Home Care. And I just was doing a lot of rowing and I thought I'm going to try and break this world record and me and another guy together did uh, did that that was uh, a while ago mm-hmm. you love a challenge though you've also completed an I in Ironman yeah yeah I did a right? lot of triathlons and uh, I, I wanted to do an Ironman and, and frustratingly got quite close to getting into the world championship no, missed really? out by about eight minutes um, but you're right, I like a challenge and, yeah. and everything that I do I, I sort of try and tackle with an enthusiasm and gusto mm-hmm. um, and, and that gets you a, an awfully long way. I've come to realise you don't necessarily need to be super talented, but I think if you're committed and enthusiastic, mm. then that gets you an awfully long way through uh, through a challenge. Yeah, there's nothing to be said for hard work and dedication, right? That's, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, I've also learned that, like myself, you have a rattling recycling bin as you like to unwind with a glass of wine. <laughs> so a born adventurer, though. It's, I mean, we've figured out this is obviously how you like to let off steam and how you like to unwind, because obviously it's really widely known that in your profession, it can be both mentally and physically tiring, can't it? So do you th- think that you throw yourself into all these different hobbies just to let off that steam? Exactly, yeah. I think um, it's been well documented that the veterinary profession is is, is fraught with sort of um, challenges and, and mm. particularly, you know, mental health problems. Yeah. Uh, now it's something that we can all talk about more freely but you know when when um you know when I was a young vet you'd hear stories of um depression then it was blamed on brucellosis a disease from cattle oh really Uh, and a lot of the old school vets would would, when they were going through a tough time they would they would say oh you know it's his brucellosis flaring up again um there isn't any brucellosis now that's been eradicated it's a kind of an old-fashioned disease Mm. of cows but yeah the problems are still there so Mm. yeah I think it, it comes with the you know, it's, it's kind of constantly draining and constantly challenging. And I think, you know, you get by with adrenaline for a lot of it. But when the adrenaline runs out, then you're just left with a, a long hours of yeah. intense and relentless pressure. So it, it is hard. It's a great job. And I would definitely do it all again. But it, it's not without problems. Yeah. And for me, you know, um, 
I, you know, whether it's getting out my mountain bike in the hills or yeah. going for a run or, you know, that, that, that kind of physical challenge is what I find really helpful. Yeah. And failing that, I, a glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> or both. Or both. Bike yeah. and wine at the same time. Not at the same time. <laughs> no, my, um, my dad's a keen cyclist, road biker, and um, he always says, it's his way of letting off steam, mm-hmm. you know, because he's got quite a pressured job. So, yeah. Yeah. So how did your journey into TV start? This must have been a really crazy transition to the norm, which is a veterinary practice. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it, it, now it was a while ago. It was 2015 and I can remember it very, very clearly. Um, Channel 5, the man in charge of Channel 5, a chap called Ben Frow, mm-hmm. wanted to make a like a real-life, modern-day version of the James Herrick series. Yeah. And there was a production company based in Leeds called Days of X Studios, and they were kind of given the uh, the job of finding the practice and the people within the practice to to, to um, be the <laughs> be the, the characters stars, yeah, or yeah, whatever. yeah. Um, and and at that time, I was quite keen. We'd been approached a, f- a few times before um, because our practice was the original Harriet practice, mm. and a few people had sort of put ideas to it. None of them seemed to be quite kind of right but this time um sorry. it's all right i'll cut it out go on um so we've been approached in the past to do similar kind of things and we, we didn't quite really think it was the right thing mm. but somehow um you know this this just seemed right i was quite keen to um to to, to sort of show our work really we, we weren't mm. specialists or experts in any way but we were doing you know, general practice, mixed practice w- with an enthusiastic passion, but also a simple kind of way. Yeah, and, and I don't think there'd been, I think there'd been a real gap in shows like that, hadn't there, for a long time? Yeah. Of just showing the real day-to-day of a normal Yorkshire veterinary practice. Yeah, and, and you know, the super vet was on uh, and very popular as that is. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt quite strongly that at that time that there was, it was almost as if being a generalist was, nothing to aspire t- towards it wasn't um you know yeah. only just a generalist kind of thing and I felt quite proud of being a, a generalist and it's mm. nice to be able to you know fix a broken leg and treat a dog with cancer or mm. you know deliver a calf or a lamb or, or you, you know we were we were doing everything which is general practice mm. um arrangements so I, I thought it would be quite interesting and I just thought it'd be a bit of fun uh at that time we We've got no idea what was going to happen and we were under the impression that it was six episodes and then that would be it. Um, and then about halfway through the series, which we thought was just the series, six episodes, yeah. somewhere or other it said S1, meaning series one, yeah. and then E, like four. And I thought, and I looked in the TV times and stuff and saw things like uh, GPs behind closed doors and notice that they've got like S12 E4 mm. and I thought oh no that's going to be us it's going to go on it's going to go yeah. on and on isn't it yeah. um, and slowly that dawned on me that this wasn't just a transient six episodes mm. you know in the limelight have a bit of fun yeah but um, if it gets traction then they're going to want to keep going aren't they yeah because people want to watch it exactly and, and the, the viewing figures were good and it seemed to attract not only decent numbers of viewers, but very 
passionate, loyal viewers who would watch it over yeah. and over again. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was a really important thing for the longevity. And, and yeah, when we first started, it just seemed like, uh, you know, something fun to do. And yeah. it's now, you know. But it became like one of the stars of Channel 5, didn't it? Yeah. And it was really popular. Having two series a year. Um, and typically, probably 24, 25, 26 episodes a year. Yeah. So it is a lot to and you and a lot to obviously ask your staff as well to you know they're just trying to do their job and all of a sudden they've got because you know obviously I've done a little bit in telly mm. but the teams are huge aren't they of the people that come in tow well not really with us so so our team involves um, a PD which is a as you know a, a producer director a camera person pointing the camera mm -hmm. and an assistant who who used to hold the boom. For oh, really? Okay. So we don't have two people. So they'd just be there just to capture the moments and then a story producer would later, you know, pick out what they thought was really lovely. Um, yeah, I mean, they'd film most things that either, I mean, now I, you know, I know enough about what's going to make a story that I can sort of steer it a little bit myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, but then that initially they filmed everything, absolutely everything, um, partly because they didn't know what they would get partly mm. because I think it was perhaps giving us a bit of practice in front of a camera um and and now then yeah they, they'll hang around um pick things up as, the, as they happen and then I'll you know say to, to one of the producers you know I've got a dog coming in um so, so next Thursday when I'm at our other practice in Thursday there's a, a dog coming in who's uh needs an operation not particularly complicated operation but the lady said oh this dog it's a little sausage dog, and um, she said, this dog saved my life. Oh, okay, she, so that you're like, so, the so, story producer in exactly, you is thinking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so she'd had a heart attack, and the dog uh, realised something was going on mm -hmm. and was was kind of grabbing a bottom of her trousers and pulling her out the door to, to you know, to go back home. Um, so I, you know, immediately thought this you know, lady was really interesting and an interesting story. And yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking, oh, right, that's good. So I then phoned up Adam, the, the PD, and said, oh, when you come on Thursday, this is a really interesting mm. story. You might want to film it. And I, I quickly came to realise that it's not necessarily what the operation is or what the procedure is. Yeah. It's the story behind yeah. the animal almost. It's the, it's the, the dog really, isn't it? Yeah. The, the story of the dog. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter if you're lambing a sheep or calving a cow. We've done those hundreds of times, but it's, yeah. it's more the kind of character behind yeah. the sheep. Um, yes, it helps. And what they mean to the farmer. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And the question always is that the PDs ask is, you know, what does this mean to to you, to the owners? And and that's a question that we don't normally get asked very often in mm. the normal course of life. I, I remember one time in series one, um, I'd done a, a fertility examination on a on a bull, mm. and it was a tough kind of Yorkshire farmer, and it turned out it was reasonably comical because the bull had something called short penis syndrome <laughs> um, so he couldn't mate with any of the heifers yeah uh so he was like infertile yeah not fertile but not able to had the sperm it. but yeah. was unable to do the deed exactly yeah <laughs> so um so the pd was sort of asking this farmer and so, say you know how do you feel what you know mm. what's it like and this poor chap burst into tears yeah of course um, because these, you know, these bulls cost a lot of money, don't they? And yeah. that's the future of his stock, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. And he said, you know, I'm trying my best to 
develop my herd and build my farm up mm. and take it forward. And I thought this this new young bull was the way to go. And he said, you know, every time I try to do something to improve yeah. things, you know, it's like a slap in the face. But it, I remember watching and thinking, you know, that emotion has been drawn out of that tough old farmer mm. simply because he's been asked a question that most people would never ask him. Yeah, exactly. And 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 everything that we film, every decent story that ends up on telly, it's that kind of, you know, asking the personal questions. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting to be part of the whole programme. Like yeah. I've really enjoyed seeing um, how it you know how it opens up you see a lot of that sort of mechanism though even in shows like the bake-off isn't it it's not really about how good their drop scone is is it it's it's the person that's baking it isn't it and their story yeah and what it means to them to do that why baking is so important to them and obviously uh and their journey to Mm. becoming on that show yeah totally yeah i'm I'm not a massive fan of the bake-off but um you know when i watch it to me it's another cake and Mm -hmm. how many more times yeah, yeah, that yeah, cake. Yeah. but you're right it's not really the it's cake. not I don't think it's about it's about the people it's isn't the it? people. it's a bit like the sewing bee or anything like you might have a an interest in these things but the reason why I think these shows are so popular mm. like the Yorkshire Bet is it's the characters isn't it really yeah definitely yeah yeah there's plenty of those around there, <laughs> well, there is isn't there <laughs> did you always know you wanted to be a vet and you know from sending in that application to university do you looking back to young Julian is it everything you expected it to be or is it a completely different profession? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I, I always wanted to be a vet realistically from as long as I've got any conception of mm. doing a job and having a career. It's a popular question though, when you're six upwards, isn't it? Yeah, what do you want to do when, when you're older? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'd, I never, I wasn't from a farming background or really an animal background at all, particularly. Um, but uh, it was always what I wanted to do and, Mm. Um, and then luckily, you know, managed to get the grades and an offer and got to university. And then, and I always wanted to work in Yorkshire, which sounds a bit silly, but um, I'm from kind of a very urban industrial town yeah, based on coal mining. Um, and I just always had this big desire to get out into open spaces and, yeah. and, and green places and fresh air. And I thought working in North Yorkshire would would be exactly that and yeah and, and luckily that's how it all panned out yeah there is a pull of the green I um I definitely think whenever I've had to work in London as soon as I get back because obviously I live in North Yorkshire as well as soon as I get back home I'm like oh I just feel like myself again I feel like a weight's been pulled off because as much as I love going and being in those places for short periods of time mm-hmm. I think you either know whether you're an urban dweller or you're a country dweller aren't you yeah um so yeah I I've I've loved it it's as for whether it's everything I expected I suppose back then when I was a kid, I, I didn't really know exactly. I, I'd not get any plans for how um, things would kind of progress. What, I remember thinking what I really wanted to do was be the vet or have, have the practice that everybody wanted to take their animals to. Yeah. And I wanted to be the vet that everybody wanted to treat their animals. Yeah. That, that was the sort of my kind of aim and I didn't want to necessarily be the best vet in the world because I knew that was mm-hmm. unlikely um but I thought if I can get to the place where you know people want to come to our practice mm. my practice and and you know they, they want me to treat the animal uh and and I, I suppose kind of where we, we've got to yeah um, pretty much yeah in, in, in you've in hit a, you've smashed your goals yeah. <laughs> yeah. pat on the back <laughs> 
Now, this is obviously a dog orientated podcast. So can I ask, other than like the routine checkups that you do with the dogs, mm. what are the rising issues that you're seeing in your dogs? Just for example, myself, I see so much more cruciate ligament problems, yeah. luxating patella, knee issues mm. in dogs. As a vet, are you seeing an increase in these sort of preventable health problems as well? And, and if it is, obviously, what, what are you seeing an increase in, do you think? Yeah, that's a really, again, another good question. And when you were saying just now about being a kid and going through, the, you know, learning about being a vet, when I was, you know, at school and going to the local practice, you'd see Westies with terrible skin disease. Yes, 100%. Uh, that's now much less but I we think. don't see as many Westies, though, do you? Not so many Westies. No, you used to see German Shepherd dogs with terrible sloping backs and mm. appalling hips. That's a lot better. Uh, you used to see dogs with a condition called um, exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. Um, okay. Which, again, mainly German Shepherds. I can't remember the last dog I saw. No, I've not, I've not heard of it. So so there's, there's conditions that do go and, and other ones that... I don't go completely, but that seem to be less prevalent. Yeah. And then other conditions that, that appear, um, maybe we get better at spotting them and more interested in investigating them and delving into the, 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 the problems. I mean, I, the, the thing that I, I, I see most tangibly um, are, are, are the sort of psychological problems now in, in young dogs, particularly with what's happened over the last year or so, mm. um, lockdowns and isolations and things. And, it really mirrors some of the challenges that people have had. So you're having um, a lot more people maybe coming in for sedatives and things like that, or or is it yeah, more that they have anxieties? Anxieties, I think, mm. uh, in, in the dogs, and, and you'll see dogs whose immediate reaction is to step backwards and start barking and hide behind their owner's legs. Right, okay. Um, rather than coming forward happily wagging and wanting to, 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 to meet you. You know, there's not every dog by any means but every day you'll see but if you've noticed because you'll see such a broad spectrum of these mm. animals so that if you can see like a pattern then there's yeah. maybe something to be said for it so I, I think that that's something um and i think you know we're seeing lots of, of mixed breeds now poodle crosses and mm. cavalier crosses and, and whatnot and that's you know in some ways that's a good thing it's mixing up genetics and and whatnot but i think in the, in the olden days, I was going to say, I'm, I'm still sort of... <laughs> Don't I'm, age I'm, yourself, Julian. <laughs> to, to say in the olden days. But in the olden days, I'll say it, whether it's a right thing to say or not, then there was, you know, there was a mongrel that was a collie crosser with a, I know, Jack Russell. Yeah. Or bits of other things. But, you know, if you got a Labrador, you knew broadly what you were going to get. Mm. If you got a border collie, you knew, knew what you were going to get. And I think now there's a lot of labradoodles mm. cockadoodles poodle doodles mm-hmm. um and mixed breed things which which is great i think it's a good thing but you don't necessarily know what you're going to get you might yeah. get a labrador cross with a poodle and is it going to be that big or is it going to be that big and mm. but also do you you know my thinking behind that is if say if you've got a cavapoo a cavalier crossed with a poodle mm. you could get the inherent problems that a lot of cavaliers have yeah. with the brain and things like that yeah. or eyes and then you've also got like pra or things that maybe the breeders haven't tested in that maybe that's carried in the poodle line as well so do you think you're doubling up on these issues i don't think necessarily doubling up but i think that it's a little bit of a sort of step into the unknown if that mm. makes sense you know the, the established breeds for example you know labradors you you would 
pretty much automatically do hip scoring before yeah really hip elbow that. yeah and you you know what and yeah. you might do some of the gene tests as well but i think when you when you're crossing different breeds probably there isn't the established mm. um protocols information well exactly maybe that's what it is those tests. yeah so because there's not a guideline that you would have with like a pedigree breeder, mm. then sometimes maybe some of these are being skipped. Yeah. So you can argue either way, whether it's a, yeah. a bad thing or a good thing. To, I, I, I personally, you know, I, I like to see mixed kind of animal, you know, mixed breeds. Yeah, like but, I said to you before, there are bread and butter as well. Yeah. We love all dogs. So. Yeah. Dogs yeah. are dogs. And, Do- exactly. Um, so uh, I saw something funny on Instagram the other day and, it was a cartoon with one dog talking to the other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and one dog says to the so are you a, a pure breed? Um, and so the, the other dog says, yeah, I'm a pure dog. My dad was a dog and my mum was a dog. <laughs> I'm a pure, 100% pure yeah. dog. And, and I think that's, you know, that's that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. Uh, in general. So the, the other thing that I think, you know, whether we're seeing more of or dealing with more is, is I seem to be seeing a lot more cancer uh, cases oh yeah really yeah um and, and doing a lot more chemotherapy kind of management there's two drugs today that one's on chemo and then another's it's going to be on a, a chemo regime um do you think it's because it's the technology's moved on so you can detect it not necessarily or so you actually think it just seems to be on the rise i think it's possibly i don't know maybe dogs are living longer mm. maybe I, I don't know maybe we're more tuned in maybe you know, once we might be more quick to take our dogs to the vets as well if we notice something possibly, slightly yeah, wrong. Yeah. Um, but but I'm certainly now when you discuss the options for certainly non-surgical cases, um, I, I, I'm doing a lot more chemotherapy regimes now yeah. with, with some really good success, actually. And I think once upon a time you might have said, well, you know, I, I don't want to kind of put my dog through that in a mm. In reality, most of the regimes are really quite well tolerated with mm. pretty good results i think it's something to weigh up isn't it obviously on the age of your dog and their quality of life yeah. and everything yeah and, and my um not dog... for every dog by any means, no no to... my doberman had a really rare form of skin cancer so she had to have a graft off her stomach oh, was nice. put on a leg yeah it was really intense this drain and then there wasn't quite enough skin so they had to then serrate all the skin obviously so it could Oh yeah, fill yeah, in yeah, the yeah. gap basically. Yeah, um, it was quite something, mm. and it was all just because we noticed this thickening of a skin on a leg, and um, yeah, and they said maybe a year tops. Anyway, she lived till she was thirteen and a half. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so she, I mean, another five, five or so. I mean, it seemed like whatever it was, mm-hmm. it, you know, what they did cured it. Yeah. But that was treated uh, at my vet practice, and um, yeah, they did a marvelous job. You know, it was but hindsight that operation really shook her up and it slightly changed her Mm. i think that um you know she was a quivering wreck for about a week afterwards she's quite obviously dobin's quite sensitive dogs anyway would i have done that when she was older i'm not quite sure i'd have put her through that it's 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 difficult difficult one isn't it because they don't understand do they the what's and why's of exactly um but but you know i think you've got to be quite mindful that a dog's lifespan is is much shorter than a human's lifespan. So, if a recovery process or a recuperation from a piece of surgery takes four months mm-hmm. to a human, that's like sort of seven times that. Mm. So you, you've got to think, you know, is it fair if you're going to have, for example, like a skin graft where it takes months to recover? Yeah. In to the dog, it's like 
you know, to us it's three months, but to the dog yeah. it's like an extended. And part some of, of them, life. you know, like the you know knee and hip hops and things, where they're on crate rest, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, I, I do quite a lot of stifle surgery, mm-hmm. um, and, and I have to say, uh, I'm always a lot of orthopedic vets are very very strict on that, you know, cage rest and nothing. No else. jumping, yeah. And, and not even really anywhere other than the cage. Yeah. I'm much more kind of flexible. And to me, incarcerating a dog in a cage for six weeks is... Yeah, especially if you're dealing with a working cocker or something yeah. like that. I mean, whew. yeah. So, so yeah, so things have changed in the profession. Mm-hmm. Some, uh, a lot for the better and some not necessarily. But, uh, mm. but yeah, good question again. As the nation obviously increases in size, increases in size, we know this. It's actually a fact that also our dogs are increasing in size as well. Mm. So, how do you address the weight and obesity issues with your clients? It's always a tricky one. Obviously, I have clients different. Mm. Obviously, matter of a lot of minor grooming clients. So again, it's yeah. totally different. Do you see it as a problem? Do you think it's becoming more of a prevalent problem, like a mainstay you see in your daily clients? And, and how do you go about tackling it? Yeah, it's. It can be quite difficult. I mean, I think as as with people, you know, you're right, there's a tendency for animals to get heavier and fatter and more obese and, mm. and with that all the inherent problems that, that come. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know what the latest figures are in terms of whether it's becoming more prevalent or... Apparently, or, yeah, I read today um, that that it, it correlates so obviously as a nation we're in mm. you know fact, fact we are increasing in size but apparently it correlates that our dogs mm. also are increasing at the same you know yeah. trajectory as we are yeah I, I guess that it's probably probably accurate um I, I, it, it's hard isn't it i mean you look at your, your little dog down there and i know it's giving it's you the eyes cute face yeah and when you're your piece of cake <laughs> or your, your bag of crisps and you know, he, he only wants a morsel. Oh, yeah. and no, I've got a twelve-year-old poodle at home who's on a permanent diet. I'm yeah. all, I feel like I'm always dieting her. <laughs> I, th- I think it's. Um, I think people are a lot more aware. I remember when I first started as a vet, uh, an old farmer came in who, who actually is a, one of the stars in the vets of the Yorkshire vet. Yeah, and she came in with her dog Koloska, um, who was like eighteen or twenty, really old, and it was clearly like a like a barrel it's yeah. little legs stuck outwards rather than kind of downwards little footstool yeah and I remember saying oh you know these dogs you know really overweight it needs to lose you know yeah all this amount of weight and 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 I, I worked with these people for probably nearly 20 years when I was at Thirsk um and the dog never got any slimmer uh, and it was just the nature of yeah of the dog so yeah sometimes you know, you, you can sort of pontificate about weight loss, but it's never going to make any difference. Yeah. Um, so I think you need to be, you can be, some people take great offence. No, exactly. Well. This is my thing. This is why I'm hoping that all the vets tell mm. the dogs and then I don't have to. That's yeah. basically, <laughs> I'm passing the book. <laughs> it's a good way of upsetting people if you say that the, do- the dog's overweight. Mm. But I, I think mostly people sort of know and it's a they'll of, come in and preempt and be like, oh, I know that. Yeah, although people yeah. say, you know, what do you think about his weight? My husband thinks he's too thin, or yeah. I think he's, you know, too heavy. What do you think? And then you can and answer then honestly. You can answer. Yeah. And and I think you know, all vet practices have got weighing scales in them. Mm. So ultimately, you can just you know look at the yeah the number on the scales. Yeah. Um, measurement. I quite often measure around the the. 
the you know circumference to get a number mm. and i think then it's quite easy to 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 to, to see where you're heading whether it's in a good way or a bad mm. way and you know yeah no it's, it's a tricky one I've always found it a tricky one I thought I'd ask a vet's point of view because I know in my profession we always find it a tricky one because as we see the dogs potentially expanding we mm. see firsthand the difficulty for them just to stand mm. for a period for instance of just having a haircut you know, going out for a walk, we we see that their mobility deteriorates. So obviously we know that, you know, carrying this extra weight, especially for a lot of the little dogs that may have, you know, potentially, you know, bad knees, things like that. It's obviously detrimental, but it's always a tricky one to address. Yeah. I mean, I I have to say, I I think it's much better if dogs are are, are slim or or not overweight. But personally, as a vet, I don't really feel that it's, my job to enforce these things no I, I you know we can give advice but a gentle nod and then yeah. yeah and you know when you go out into the street and you see you know the doctors aren't you know arresting everybody who's you no know, you're totally right yeah everybody's different but then i think we're responsible for our dog's consumption aren't we exactly yeah and and we, we are but um so, so ultimately it's easy isn't it because we, yeah. we you know we don't feed quite so but much. then they don't give you those dairy eyes so, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so how how on earth do you fit it all in julian you've obviously got two practices one in thirsk one in weatherby you write what seems like a published book every single year yeah you do lots of tv work you've got a family so how on earth do you juggle it all tell me your secret <laughs> um well I don't know. I, I just think that if if you if you do things kind of enthusiastically and with vigor, you can get a lot more things done. I mean, I, I'm I'm kind of lucky in lots of ways. The two practices we've got some great staff mm. um, here at Sandbeck. We've got I've got three um, partners who you know who who take a very active role in sharing out the workload mm. um, up at Thirst and my wife and Isabella. Um, are really active at you know managing and, and running the business. So luckily, from a veterinary work point of view, both both practices, my 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 role is just part of the team. It's not yeah. like I have to manage manage the day to day running. Yeah. Um. So that makes it easier. I, I think you know the telly again. Luckily, m- most of the telly stuff that I do, I can do whilst I'm actually working, mm. which. Yes, it means you're doing two things at once, like two jobs at the same time, which is initially was extremely tiring and very wearing and quite stressful. N- nowadays, it's not quite so bad because I've got the hangover. You may have got used to it, yeah. You get used to it up to a point. And um, so it's not necessarily that much more difficult to film something that I'm doing for the, for the Yorkshire Vet because I'm doing it anyway and I'm just providing a bit of commentary to, yeah. to somebody. Um, other things do get more difficult. When I do the other television things, usually they have to happen in my spare time. Yeah, and which... writing as well. Do you do that on evening? So writing, yeah. So I'm writing another uh, book about a, a children's book, actually. Oh, that's good. Um, which is proving quite hard work. Oh, yeah. Um, because it's a slightly different style. Uh, and mm. then, so my first job is to think of the stories and, and teasing them out of my brain and yeah. getting the ideas down is the first bit. And then, it, I, I just I've totally fallen in love with writing. Um, and, and if I've not got a book on the go, I feel a little bit 
sort of bereft. Oh, really, yeah. And I, I'd really like the challenge. Mm. One of my kids said, oh, do you actually like writing books, Dad? And I said, well, it's a bit like doing your homework. You don't, it's a sort of a chore to do, but when you've done it, you feel really, really satisfied. Mm. And you'll find this when your book's out. When yeah, you've got that book with yeah. your name on the front, it's the When I'll pop thing. and see it on a shelf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to go around the, uh, all the, um, when we were going to an air, airport, I'd go around all the WH Smiths. Signing them. Well, no, they, they didn't have any in the in the books in the bookshops at the airports. Um, but if uh, wherever in a you know a, you know anywhere that's a town of WH know, Smiths, yeah, I'll call in and say, oh, "Do you want me to sign that?" Uh, yeah. And there'll be like one copy on the kind of buy one get one free section. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I do I do that? I mean, I wrote chapter this weekend. I was taking a. Uh, my youngest son to one of his training sessions and as he was waiting um, sat in a, in a coffee shop for a couple of hours mm-hmm. and then and, and yeah finished up the chapter yeah that's brilliant so it's yeah. so you can fit things in and in the days when I used to be on call a lot of the time um, I could write books when I was on call yeah so I couldn't really go yeah. anywhere or do anything or um, you know you do your work but between the work there was time to do yeah. the writing um so yeah you, you fit in really I mean I'm, I'm kind of looking you must feel like you've got a lot of you're juggling a lot of balls in the air though I feel like yeah yeah there's a lot of balls in the air but it's, it's good it's better to have lots of balls yeah in the variety air. of life right no, no balls in the air would be a bit uh, <laughs> stressful uh, yeah yeah it would yeah. <laughs> so what's next on the agenda Julian you've obviously finished recording what's on channel five now our great Yorkshire life which I think you did some segments for yeah so that's that's an interesting um idea and and hopefully it'll really be be, be popular and i think the scope i mean the premise is it's it's all interesting things in yorkshire mm. and i'm hoping we can delve a little bit more into some of the, the history and the heritage of yorkshire mm. um you know it's such a big county there's so yeah. many facets to it uh, and the you know the industrial element of coal mining canals and the mills and all that sort of stuff to the countryside and the things we can and then the niche different. things like obviously you went to vineyards yeah all these new yeah, yeah. industries in in yorkshire as well so it's nice to to get chance to kind of look at those things um and then so that's that yorkshire vet carried on there's another series 14 and 15 that we'll be filming this year um and, and so that's that's mm-hmm. hopefully quite uh, going to be still quite popular and you're doing a live talk aren't you on the yeah 26th did you say yeah, i've got a few i do a sort of series of theater um events like a, an in conversation mm-hmm. evening with julian um where it's like a bit bit like a live version of this podcast i suppose and we we, we sit on the stage and um i've got a guy that comes and interviews me and then we you know speak to the audience and get questions so yeah i've got I think about eight of those coming up this rest of winter and into spring. Um, various places, Wigan, Old Courts, if you've got any listeners in Wigan, on the 25th of January, and Halifax Square Chapel on the 28th of January mm-hmm. are the two next. Where um, can you find the rest of the dates? Instagram is probably... Julian Norton Vet. Julian Norton Vet, yeah. So that's usually quite a good place to um, find what I'm up to. I, I do Instagram because I find it quite funny. Um there's some things that are vaguely controversial. Um, uh, yeah, no, I saw your no-fag no chocolate thing. And so, some things that are just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a good place. I've got one. I've got to do one in Chesterfield. 
Yeah. In February, Leeds uh, in, I think, March. So, I'm yeah. sure plenty of dog lovers will come and ask you all there. Yeah, well, we do questions and stuff yeah. uh, from the audience, so um, so, so they're, they're quite good. But yeah, Wigan Old Courts and Halifax Square Chapel on the 20th and 28th of January and the next day. I think there should still be tickets for those. I'm doing one in Pocklington next week, but that's sold out, I'm afraid. Perfect. So my last question, I ask this to everybody. What are your proudest moments? What's your standout proudest moment, do you think? Oh, gosh. Proud. I'm not sure pride is a very good sort of sentiment. It is. It's good to be. It's good to um, take a, a moment to look back, I think. And I think that's very British of us, isn't it? Not to want to maybe boast or say what, yeah. you know, what we've achieved. Yes. But um, find your inner American. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I think there's lots of things. I, I think, you know, we've got two boys, Jack and Archie, when they... You know, they're both very accomplished. Yeah. Um, I, I take a lot of pride, I suppose, in seeing how they're yeah. growing up and developing. Jack's How old are they? So Jack's uh, 18 and Archie's 16. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, t- I'm taking Jack back to university tomorrow, actually. Um, and and it's, I suppose, really, that they're, they're, they're the things that I'm most proud of. Of course, because we all live vicariously through our children, don't yeah, we, at the end of the day? We've kind of made them. Like yeah. Half of yeah. and half actually made Yeah, exactly. Um, but there's lots of other things. I think, you know, getting to university, going to Cambridge was quite a thing. Yeah. I, I was really proud I managed to represent. Oh, you, your parents must have been so chuffed. Um, I don't know. They're, they're fairly I represented Team GB for... Um, half iron distance triathlon that was pretty pretty good to get a thing with your name on the yeah thing yeah and then and then write the books I, I honestly never thought that I'd have written six books I've written down yeah and and that's that's something I'm really proud of doing and I think maybe seeing your first book as well you must have yeah you know was, now it's like old hat yeah the first <laughs> one was 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 really cool um and, and I guess you know cracky I've managed to be fairly heavily involved with well over 100 episodes of the Yorkshire Vet. And, mm. you know, whether you like it or or whether you don't, whether you watch it fanatically or, or whether you avoid it fanatically, I, that's something that most people don't get to do. And I think it reflects quite well on the profession. Yeah. Uh, it gives a lot of people a lot of pleasure, and that's a nice thing to be able to do. 100%. Um, yeah, and, and actually, since I've been on doing the telly stuff and making podcasts and writing books, it's it's quite it's been quite transformative because as a vet, you're very focused on like goal orientated things. You you know the do- the lame dog comes in, mm-hmm. you need to work out why it's lame, then you need to fix it, and mm-hmm. if you can do that, it's fixed. Mm-hmm. When you go to carve a cow, you need to deliver the calf. And yeah, the, everything has a very specific purpose, um, and and I, you naturally become quite focused on achieving a thing. And since I've been making television episodes and writing books, it's really opened up to me that the fact that you know you can write a, a book, for example, ultimately it doesn't have any purpose whatsoever. It's not mm. curing anybody or fixing. So anything. it's almost like changing that mindset for you. Yeah. Then yeah, there's no goal. Yeah, and it's if that goal is to, you know, for somebody to 
lie in the bath and read a chapter of a book and take some enjoyment out of it or mm. laugh at something funny that happens in a in a Yorkshire episode mm. then that it's made me realize that there is something worthy about making oh you know I'm, I'm not musical and I can't write poetry or anything like that and I or painting pictures you can't I can't do that and yeah you, you sort of I'd look at those things and think well, what's the point in that but I've now realized that actually there is a lot of merit in creating something that might provide yeah. um enjoyment for the people and totally different from what you do yeah you know what your profession is as a vet yeah. right and you know we're talking now somebody will be listening to this in their car mm-hmm. on the way home from work um and if if they find that a more interesting thing to listen to than radio one or radio four or radio two then we've achieved something this haven't we? <laughs> Now we're at the end of the episode, I'd like to finish off by asking you my quick fire questions. So are you ready? I'm ready, but I will warn you that sometimes my quick fire answers. No, it's fine. No, 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 it's fine. It's (laughs) fine. So your favourite place to walk? Do you know what? I really like the the French Alps. Oh, yeah. Um, I I like mountains and I like Yorkshire and Yorkshire's great, but I think walking in big mountains. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my... um, so my dad in the winter lives in Val d'Isere, so he's oh, in Val d'Isere at the moment. Oh, cool. And then in summer, he's in between sort of Provence and Harrogate, oh, mostly nice. Provence. But yeah, nice so yeah, so we've uh, we've been at Mont Ventoux a lot yeah. on, on his bike. He'll cycle oh, right. up the Mont Ventoux. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Like. yeah, it is. It is. A spare. I will not ride it. I'll be driving behind in the car. Nice. And uh, and yeah, and then obviously normally on skis but my dad does skinning so you know when you put oh, the, no, the skin yeah yeah so he likes doing that so yeah. he'll go skinning off yeah. into the mountains yeah. and... well that's my that's my main thing actually i was doing that yeah last week actually yeah um, so yeah that would be my ideal day walking with skis on my feet yeah nice yeah so summer or winter i like both yeah i like summer because it's sunny and warm and winter because there's the chance of being able to go with skinning snow, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Your favourite holiday destination? Again, the Alps, French Alps. Uh, any... Or any Alps, actually, but, but any big mountains. Yeah, but it always tends to be the French Alps. We tend to, but I like, I like France and I like yeah. French things, so tend yeah. to go. Wee yeah. wee. Oui, oui. Any phobias? Uh, I don't like snakes. Oh, okay. Yeah. At what, all. What's your favourite breed of dog? Do you have one? Uh... Yeah, so it's a good question. I mean, current, the current dogs are Jack Russell, um, and they're hard to beat. I think they've got such yeah tenacity, of, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. But I, what I'd really like, my, the favourite dog that I ever had was one that my grandparents owned. That was a, a Whippet Bedlington Lurcher. Yeah. And I'd love to have one Dingle of those dogs. dogs. I always yeah. call them Dingle dogs because they look like the dogs that are on Emmerdale. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're that would be my favourite. But I haven't come across one of those at a time when we needed a new yeah. dog um and before that we had a bullet terrier and he was quite cool uh, yeah but, they're great little characters as well yeah so generally day to day when do you think you're at your happiest <laughs> um what within the day within the 20 yeah just is it when you Gosh, that's a good question get um, into bed at night or when you have your first cup of tea in the morning i absolutely love my first cup of tea of the day i i I'd say I don't really like going to bed. Um, yeah, I'm a bit like that. Yeah. Because when I was at university, I, I used to think I used to just always stay up late because going to bed was like shutting everything down and mm. things. Like,
generally think we're doing even better, I suppose, but things generally <laughs> would stop like, yeah, yeah. Um, sleeping. I never really liked. Um, I like a cup of tea in the morning. I'll yeah, say. Yorkshire only. Yeah, um, but I'm doing a lot of mountain biking now, so I'm doing a lot of mountain biking, and I think it's hard to beat, you know, getting So to maybe the it's locking up the, the practice for the day and getting your bike and out. out. I like it in summer when you've got long, light evenings. Yeah, yeah. When you, you can, in winter, of course, you get to five or six o'clock and it's dark. Yeah. And I really like it when you get home, have a quick cup of tea, and then get out and do an hour and a half on your bike in the evening. Yeah. That's my best thing. I'm playing uh, Guess the Dog Breed, by the way. I bet that's the stuff they do, and it's chattering. Stuff, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. um, oh, no, it adds to the, uh, you know, the depth of the podcast <laughs> record. <laughs> yeah. What's your favourite time of the day, then? Me? When your podcasts achieve, like... I feel like I'm most productive at about 10 o'clock at night when I should be going to bed because I've got a two and a four year old who like to wake up at 6am. Mm. So staying up past half 10 is never a good idea. Yeah. But then that's when I feel like I kind of have this spurt of focus. Yeah. It's weird, you know how you know how we're all different people. You get people who are morning people, lunchtime people. I feel like a light or the other end of it is getting up at 5am. Yeah. So, so if I've had a really good night's sleep, I'll set my alarm for 5am, get up, and then I know that I can go downstairs and have an hour and a half, I can walk the dogs, you know, I can, you know, do some work on my laptop and have some time out. Yeah, I mean, I, I found when I was writing that in the middle of the night, like four o'clock, mm. I'd wake up with an idea, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and I had to get up and start writing about that. Yeah. So it must be, between that nighttime cycle must be, for me, mm-hmm. must be slightly nocturnal, but obviously that goes against the grain of what society says you should be doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's a wrap thank you so much for joining me and julian norton julian can be found at julian norton vet make sure you check out julian sampling wine on channel 5's our great yorkshire life and have a look at his website or is it your uh, instagram bio for somewhere i don't know whether it's have a look at his Instagram bio. I'm sure that everything is on there for his, uh, his talking tour. And ensure that you put a Yorkshire bet on your reading list as well or one of his other books because they're great. And obviously the Yorkshire bet is always a really heartwarming Sunday evening watch. Thank you everybody for listening and please don't forget to rate and subscribe to Pod on the Dog. And if you'd write a review too, that'd be fabulous because it helps other people find it. That's a bye from us. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Rosie.